Hey everybody, before we get going, it's Mike here to tell you that I'm still soliciting your stories about how you got into trades. More details about that call to action after this podcast. Please listen through, please participate. Quick note, I will be at JLC Live. I'll be hanging out at the Diamondback Tool Belts booth, number 16. But right now, we continue to celebrate International Women's History Month here on the Contracting Handbook Podcast with owner and operator of FH Perry Builder and 25 years of wisdom and navigation of the residential construction and remodeling industry. Hi everyone, it's Allison Iantosca from FH Perry Builder. You're listening to the Contracting Handbook with Mike Kenoki. I've learned that people who work with their hands also work with their hearts. And the vulnerability of imperfection is is so beautiful in and of itself. That's what makes us connect with other people. Kind of a shift in the myth that you're not allowed to feel a level of fatigue. The idea is, again, that notion of resonance. What makes us somebody, what are the vibrations we put out there that people want to follow? As much as you're kind of growing and developing yourself, to also be aware of those that you're growing and developing with you and get out of their way when it's time. How does one learn how to express those great ideas when one does feel like a kid or feels at the sort of bottom of the totem pole. That what age does is just gives you more data to realize that everybody is sort of figuring out as they go. And the only way to be a leader is to be as much yourself as possible. Why do skilled trades matter? It defines who we are as human beings, as this generation, as everything. So I just, I always think about like the 200 years from now, looking back, they're gonna look back on what the skilled trades did and see it. Cause it will still be standing and it will still be beautiful. Do you believe in perfection? Oh my gosh, I've never had it put to me that way. Am I a perfectionist? Yes. Is it my downfall? Yes. Uh, Is it (laughs) what I go to my therapist about? Yeah. Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook Podcast. My next guest is an executive coach, contributor to Pro Remodeler Magazine, speaker at the Pinnacle Experience. She began in performance art, but instead of a Tony, has now countless residential construction awards and hundreds of homes under her belt. It's owner and president of FH Perry Builders out of the greater Boston area, Allison Iantosca. Welcome and thank you for joining me today, Allison. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's nice to be in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful day here. It's even it's even warm by our standards. This is my first trip, so I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> <laughs> From the comfort of your own office. From the comfort of my own office in Boston. Okay, so you started out as an actor, but you took a hard left. Have you watched, have you seen Arrested Development? Have you ever watched that? Oh, no. Oh, really? Oh, oh I'm missing you something. Would've. You are. You need to go back. It's, okay, will do. Okay. Yeah, Tobias Funke. Okay. Now, on your website, I read that after graduating the Walnut School of Arts, you wanted to start a business platform that would celebrate values you enjoyed in theater. This is a long time ago. But can you elaborate on what your experience was then? What that meant? 
I think as a theater major, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to make that dedicated time of my life relevant to the rest of my life. And it turns out that there are a lot of crossovers. And it also turns out that the two women I was up against the most in high school both went on to the construction industry, believe it or not. So there is some mm -hmm. correlation. Um, I think the biggest pieces that stand out for me and when I think about my time in the theater that was the most mm, meaningful was it doesn't matter if you're the lead or not you need everybody to pull it off. Uh, and so if you are the lead, you have a responsibility for setting the tone of the entire, let's call it project or piece. And that if you're in the ensemble, the, there's an impact that you're having that's as great as anybody else and that you need a director and you need a stage manager and you need the set designers and you need all the different parts and pieces in order to pull the final production off. And not the, out, it, the outcome is super critical, but how you get there is equal to that. And so those were just the pieces, the collaboration piece, the passion piece, the driving towards an end that is meaningful and powerful, not only to the people who participated in it, but to the people who get to enjoy it. I don't know, there was something in all of that connecting the dots that seemed to tie to what I wanted to do in a business setting, similarly to what I did in my creative art setting. I like that parallel. And, uh, it's always interesting what we can bring with us from our previous experience into this world. Uh, I started out really young doing other stuff, but my more more like uh, group oriented work was as a cook in a kitchen. And we really had to coordinate. And though it was a super fast pace, it really all those order of operations apply and the coordination apply to everything I do. I, still, I, I, I'm so glad I had that experience. Yes, same here. And what I, what you learn in that, the, from a theater perspective, I had to get up and audition all the time, uh, be put myself up and out in front of people mm. who judge me all the time. Yeah. I had to learn how to connect my head and my heart all the time, and those were other pieces that carried through. And similar to what you just described. We, you can't do it without people who want you to do it. You can't do it without an audience. You can't do it without people who will eat your food. You can't do it without someone who's holding the restaurant for you or holding the theater for you or, or giving you the opportunity of building a home. So there is this, there's an interesting parallel to the patron of the arts and the patron of the homes we build and mm. how do you let people do what they are skilled at doing and good at doing and you seek enjoyment out of that. Absolutely. I would say that the where I diverged there was I was hiding in a kitchen and <laughs> didn't have to deal with people's judgments. We cooks are just 
bad people. I'm just kidding. I'm also I'm also reading uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential again right now, which I haven't read since it came out, and it's really funny. It's bringing me back to a funny time of life. Okay, so let's fast forward. Um, you're 28. You're diving into this business. Your uh, uh, your dad's business, and there must have been some stigma to that. And you, you know, I, I in another interview you said, you know, you didn't want to be your dad's daughter, the boss's daughter, going into it. So how did you wrestle with that? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, and something that continues to come up. I continue to be my dad's mm. daughter, and how do you shift uh, what that means? Uh, from a pride perspective, but back when I was in my late twenties and making this leap to join the company, uh, I don't know if I would have got, would have been offered the job if I wasn't my dad's daughter. I didn't come mm -hmm. in with a skill set. I came in with someone who knew who I was and knew what I was good at and knew that I would learn quickly uh, knew that I work hard, uh, knew that I had a creative mind. And so for that, I was able to be successful in the business. Would I have gotten that nod if it wasn't my dad? I don't know. I'll never know. Um, but inside of that, one can't help then to feel like there's a lot of proving ground that needs to come along with that to, to have been given all of that head start, but then to feel like I earned it, earned the place or earned the ability to keep my place, I suppose. Those were all things that were running through my head quite regularly at that time. And during that time, uh, in the same podcast that I was listening to, you said something that really caught my attention. Um, and it, re it really resonates because you said that as you started out and progressed in the company, you, you, you wish you had written down or acknowledged more of your thoughts at the time. And, and my sense was, and I really, I do, this really resonated with me. My sense was that you think now or during that interview, maybe you didn't honor the ideas or that they should have been given more precedent. Um, was that like an age thing? Was it, was it you at the time you thought, oh, I'm too young to some of these, I need to talk to other people. I need more outside input than my own. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think mm. it's, um, I wrestle a lot with where, where humility shows up and humbleness. When is one able to acknowledge one's talent or strength or way of thinking or what one cares about? Uh, so as you say that, I didn't have that language in my late 20s. I have sure. it now. I think that was at play. Like, who do you think you are? Just go in, put your head down, do the work. We're not going to focus necessarily on what my great ideas are. Um, and I just wish I had the presence of mind at the time to recognize that the ideas I was having 
then were great ideas. Uh, and how does one learn how to express those great ideas when one does feel like a kid or feels at the sort of bottom of the totem pole? Um, and again, I guess it comes into play that because my dad was my boss, I probably was able to give more airtime to those ideas than I necessarily would have, or I didn't have to fight so hard. I could mention them to him and sort of see where they went. Um, but overall, I'm guessing that that question in that podcast was sort of, you know, one of those, what would you tell your younger self kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it uh, providing an incubator for what you're thinking about and allowing that to have some space uh, some authenticity to it, some believability to it, some truth to it from your own point of view, that would have helped me move forward faster. I'm, I'm going to kind of loop these two last questions together because I, I think that, you know, when I talked about the stigma a minute ago with your dad, you had a very different set of expectations going into the business. I didn't like when I started my construction company, I had no background in business, zero family history. So I had nothing to lose. I nobody. I had no one to really lose in front of. You had a very different set of expectations because, well, you had to perform. So you had to show everybody. You had something to prove in a sense more than more than someone who's just starting on their own. So I, I think there's an interesting pressure there that maybe people don't recognize. And then, but the the looping into the age thing. And, and those ideas coming and not really giving them precedent. I can absolutely relate to it. And it's something I really try to uh, relay on this podcast because so many of us come into the trades later or come into business later, like this mutuality of age, like it doesn't really matter when you have the thought, you should acknowledge it. You should run with it because it's going to, if it, it's just going to disappear if you don't. And, and, <laughs> There's a lot, well, now especially, but um, there's a lot of valid thoughts that you have when you're younger because your mind is fresh. You're not, you're not influenced by all these other things that you've learned and all the people around you. And I think that it's really important for people to, to acknowledge that and, and mm -hmm. seize those, those thoughts when they're coming into, a, especially starting something new. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. And I... It, it's just a funny juxtaposition that we all carry, but I think that what age does is <laughs> uh, just gives you more data to realize that nobody really knows anything more than you do. You're just, uh, everybody is sort of figuring it as they go. And some people choose to call an idea like the greatest invention or the greatest idea. And other people choose to say, well, that's probably not a very good idea. I'm just going to put my head down and keep going because it was my idea. And my ideas are never anything that's very interesting. And so how do you learn to play along the spectrum of that? Of It doesn't have to be earth shattering idea, but it also, that doesn't mean that it's not a good idea and that there's somewhere in between that, I hope young people and the sort of uh, notion of um, people devaluing 
themselves that there's something in there that maybe if you just think about playing along the spectrum of of that, you find more confidence in your ideas or take note of them anyway. Right. And I think anyone can do that still at whatever, whatever level you're at, like we are constantly learning and it's easy to just tunnel vision out and, and ignore the world around you and you don't get anywhere that way. You stop yeah. growing. Um, so when you started, when you started in with your dad, you kind of wanted to take the business helm in a different direction and you hired this marketing company and you know, they essentially moved in, um, put your collective feet to the fire. It sounds like. And as a result, you guys began to share your personal experiences, you in particular, uh, with clients and they loved it. They were comforted. But what did you guys, what did you learn about yourselves during that time? You know, that your clients love this authenticity, which at the time was probably pretty novel in construction. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, one slight clarification there is that that was the point where I was really cast off, you know, as, okay, you've got the helm, Allison, this is your okay. company now. And the only reason I, I offer that is because talk about vulnerability and authenticity. I mean, you know, I, there I am standing at the helm, but I needed to make sure that I put some infrastructure around myself that I could rely on for clarity of now that dad has has sold the business now that the business is mine how do i make sure that his legacy is securely in place but that it doesn't become an anchor that pulls me down or not maybe not pulls me down but but holds me back how do i give it a fresh feel, a fresh look that helps me understand what it is that I'm doing here, what it is that I want to bring to the business that kind of layers in on top of what he had already created. And to be so purposeful in naming what it was that we were trying to do as a business collectively uh, that both cemented what was of value to us from the past, as well as what we wanted to make sure that we carried forward with every new employee that came on board going into the future. Uh, all of us needed kind of those stabilizers to help us uh, have a, a floor, not a ceiling, I suppose, um, to make it feel like we were standing on some solid ground while we were trying to figure out how we were going to, you know, blow the roof off and become awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they didn't change and they haven't changed. And I think those are, that's what I learned is that it is so core and central to uh, who we've been as a business and and who we want to be as a business and and that that was so in parallel sort of like delightfully in parallel to who I am as a person um, and that the leadership team was on board with those thoughts as well that through doing that it it you realize that it's all around you all we did was put it down on paper and that felt really good and yeah out of this develop your your big picture, 
mission is people. It's not, I like this. It wasn't checking the boxes, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, which I think is interesting because a lot of us are focused on, okay, I got to get my dialogue right. But, but you're sacrificing something else. You're, you're, you're sacrificing something else working on this framework instead of going, oh, it's really about these relationships. Well, the entire experience is human beings with human beings doing work for human beings. I mean, you can't get away from it. And when you think about your sort of most frustrating moments inside business, it's so often around a conversation. It's around a disappointment. It's around a need or a want. It's around how much you feel like you can control versus how much the other person is responsible for controlling themselves. I mean, it goes all over the place when you really sort of get down to it. And when you stop to, as a leader, you stop to really pay attention to what is having an impact or making, having a positive, um, is, is effective in a company you have to start, in my opinion, you have to start with yourself. And what is it that you are creating in a, if I love this word resonance. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, a bow going across a violin mm -hmm. uh, and that sound, that reverberation. And I can, I mean, even as I describe it, I can think of what that feel like. You can feel it. You can physically feel that vibration almost in your body when you're listening to the, the strike of a bow. Check. What is the, what's, what is that for you as a leader? How are you resonating? How are people resonating with you? How are you vibrating out? And I, there, we often get sort of stuck and caught in thinking that there's a, a way to be a leader in my opinion, the only way to be a leader is to be as much yourself as possible, which has responsibility to it. You have to know what your ups or upsides are and downsides are. You have to know where you get stuck. You have to know where you need help with whatever it is that, that doesn't support you. Um, but you have to do that work. But when you do that work, then you can share a story, then you can create an experience, then you're building and working on a company of people that want to be with you. But it has to be intentional and you have to pay attention to it. Uh, and you have to build awareness constantly about what, who you are and broaden your capacity. The use of intentional really resonates with me because, because until I became very intentional with every day and every every block I had to chip through to to complete my day, um, I wasn't. I was swimming a lot. I was just adrift uh, in, in chaos and really compartmentalizing and, and working intentionally. Like, what is it about this that I really need to get to? What's what's at the core of it? Because there's all these factors, but what's what really matters in this? And I, uh, that just strikes me, strikes a chord. 
But the thing that's cool is that when you slow down and think about it, it's right there. I don't, I'm not sure that you have right. to feel like it's, oh my gosh, now I have to go on this long trek to find that stuff. It's not, <laughs> it's not out there. It's in here. It's inside of you. And it's just a, a process of pulling it out, of understanding it, of creating it um, and trusting it and loving it. Yeah, well, creators are overthinkers a lot of the time too. So it is hard. It is hard to, you know, you hear something like, "Oh man, now I got to do this too." But it is. It's right in front of you. You're yeah, yeah. So it's it's actually not all that much extra work. It's a it's a relief. It's less work. Less work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. It's all about relationships. How do we have hard? How do we have hard conversations then? Hmm. How do you approach the hard conversation with, say, a, an employee? How many employees do you have, by the way? We are at 24, I believe, right now. What's, what's kind of the breakdown of that? Of, uh, let's see. We, we, I would say we're actually almost um, half and half in people that are in the field. I think we've got about six project managers that are out running projects, uh, million, two million, three million dollar projects, six million dollar project. Um, and then we have a leadership team of five, including myself. Uh, two of those people are doing sales and pre-construction. I have a director of operations. I have a director of production. Uh, and then we've got a really great um, central services team that supports all of the financial and admin aspects of, of project finance, as well as company finance. Okay. So um, if you're having, let's say your project leader on a project is struggling with the client all of a sudden, everything was beautiful, perfect. And all of a sudden they're unhappy. They're unhappy with one of the subcontractors, something's taking longer, but they're really kind of wigging out. How do you deal with that? The client is wigging out? Yeah. But this is the SA now you've got, podcast. This is, well, this is, this is like, yeah, you have, yeah, yes, you're on. Let me get the blue, uh, the blue book on. Uh, I mean, it's complicated, right? Because you, so what is, what's really at the heart of what's going on for the client? How long has, if they're suddenly wigging out, most likely they've been building upon frustrations that they've been noting all along. They've just been too polite to say it. Uh, so they, we found the, the, the last straw for them. So then, so how do we slow down? acknowledge, go back. Probably uh, myself or a person from the leadership team, just because that gives it some gravitas. We hear you where we want to hear what, what is going on for you. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a conversation. Uh, go back to the point where this frustration began. What are the things that you noticed? Uh, <clears throat> what is it about this that is that is starting to feel like it's falling apart for you, what would make it look like or feel like it's back on track for you? 
The challenge here is that whatever it is that most likely triggered the client um, may or may not be in our complete control. They may just be done with having construction happen. They may have a sick parent. They may have added stress in their life. And then they decide that now is a great time to do a construction project. Uh, so how do we kind of balance out and give them back whatever it is that is their definition of what will make this feel better, not necessarily our definition? Mm. Our definition doesn't mean anything necessarily. So it it's a real process of listening and listening for the, the thing that really is at the heart of what might be a, a problem or a challenge. They may say, you know, I just, um, let me see if I can come up with a, a good example. Uh, there may be something that's very easy to point a finger to. Um, uh, you know, the tile didn't come in right. Uh, I feel like the interior designer is not listening to me. Uh, I told you 10 times I needed this and you didn't do it. <clears throat> but when you really slow down and figure out what's behind the frustration. It has much more to do with a level of exhaustion of having 10 cars parked outside on the curb. And we think we're delivering because we are delivering efficiency. We're making sure that there are all those trades on site today. Uh, but that, the, but that is not the priority now suddenly. So we have to shift the priority and how do we support and create a job site that fe doesn't feel quite so stressful, something like that. Um, but again, just really trying to slow down enough to listen to what's actually at the heart of it. I like how you break that down. Um, and really acknowledging what's going on, knowing the project has to keep going. Um, but getting to the heart of it, a lot of the time I feel like with with problem clients is that it's not even it might not even be your project. It might have nothing. But the thing is, you have to get through it no matter what. So you you absolutely need to. Get with that person and and find out what's going to make them OK with it again, because you can't stop the subs, especially when you're on a roll, especially when everybody's on target. Yeah. You know what this is making me think of too, is I, this wonderful definition of trust that I've been playing around with because so much mm -hmm. of it is about trust, right? And trust is, if, if you think about trust being made up of three parts, competency, so you know what you're doing, empathy, I care about you, and authenticity, I'm going to tell you the truth. If any one of those three is out of whack, trust can't be full, you know, you can't have a fulfilled sense of trust. So I can't just go to a client and be overly empathetic, but not also focus on fixing the problem through my competency, or lie to them and say, yeah, yeah, no problem, I can fix that when I actually can't. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have all three of those in play and in place in order to keep them feeling like they can trust you. 100%. Yeah, the, the, well, the false promises never work. That's for sure. For sure. Um, okay. How do you, how do you manage burnout? <laughs> You're in a, you, you have, <laughs> well, 
You have twenty-four people, including yourself, or are you number twenty-five? I'm tw no, yeah. including myself. Yep. Okay, that's that's a lot of money, a lot of clients, a lot of stress, expectations, and you, people get exhausted. Yes, they do. Uh. And it has taken on a whole new meeting post pandemic uh, or through pandemic as well. <clears throat> Such a hot topic, uh, quiet quitting, uh, silent resignation, people opting and making choices for themselves to keep themselves feeling like they are, are okay. Um, no longer the, you know, work till you drop because that's the way you get to the top kind of concept. Now it's much more about how do I take care of myself? And we have been taught, we've talked, we're talking about this quite regularly here because it is a truth. It is a truth that uh, we have not quite come to a full cycle end on healing, emotionally healing, in my opinion, emotionally healing from what just happened like the craziness of what just happened. So there's still this kind of resting on your shoulder of, of when am I going to have to pivot again? What's the next thing that's coming? I had no idea this could happen in my lifetime. Like all that stuff that just kind of hangs out with all of us in a, in a new way. Um, that is an added character to the burnout story mm. that we are, that I try and pay attention to and acknowledge so that, at, so first of all, at the very least, people don't feel like they have to prove to me or to us as a company or a team that they feel tired, they feel a little stressed, they feel a little sense of burnout. Um, so acknowledgement. Uh, then that it, it, it kind of, a shift in the myth that you're not allowed to feel um, a level of fatigue, um, that you have to muscle through, that you have to prove that you're tough or that you've got it. I mean, we, we don't and things happen and life happens. Um, and people say, you know, I didn't want to tell you that I have this thing going on in my life, but I kind of need a couple days off. And okay, take a couple days off. Life is going to happen. Uh, we have policies in place to make sure that we're creating some structure under which people understand the ideal of how we want to run the business and have people live uh, their life as a professional here. But I can't stop you from having the experience of having uh, two people that you're close to pass away in the same span of time. And you're going to need some bereavement and you're going to need to go to those funerals and have some closure. And in fact, by me allowing you, allowing as if it's uh, my right to do that. But by us creating space for you to go spend that time to get the closure is an acknowledgement of, of a healthier step towards getting you back to whole more quickly. Um, it goes back, Mike, to the 
humans working with humans for humans, you know, I, I just, I don't think we can ignore what we are, what we need, what makes us flow. And I've had different conversations at different times where people suggest that, you know, like, I don't really understand what you mean by that, Allison. Like, should we just have more happy hour time or like casual Fridays or like, what are you talking about? And it's, it is absolutely, I mean, if you want to bare knuckle down, it is absolute strategy for how to make a, in my opinion, how to make a functional business is to acknowledge the human part of it, that it is the hardest work to do to sit next to somebody and say, here's what I'm working on right now. Here's what I'm not great at. I have to go into a sales call tomorrow and selling scares me to death. I need you to know that because I want you to have my back. Uh, I need you to know that because I want you to coach me through this sales call. I need you to know that because if I flounder, I want you to pick up for me. Um, that's powerful and vulnerable and hard to do. So I don't know where the soft stuff comes in when you're talking about trying to be a full human inside a professional environment. Uh, but I think it is absolutely a sort of strategic approach. And I think it is absolutely the hardest work to do. Well, and there's so much to unpack with what you just said. Um, but one of the things that you just said is being vulnerable and listening to what they're saying. But that person say that's going on that sales call that says, if I flounder, I need you to have my back. They need to be vulnerable too. And in that case, you're really dealing with you're you're dealing with either observation or listening because a lot of times you just have to observe what's going on and see that something's wrong without them without them coming to you. I think yeah. that's a challenge. I think that's a real challenge as a leader. Um, quiet quitting. I now this term is relatively new to me, and I was listening to a podcast with. Adam Grant and Simon Sinek and Brene. So I don't know. I don't, it's her podcast, but, and I was listening to quiet. A friend told me to listen to this and I was listening. I was a little skeptical listening to it because it seemed a little too broad, uh, a little too, like a little too easy on people. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. If someone says they need time, if uh, I'm, I'm with it. I have been for a long time but it seemed like they were going a bit far. And for everybody listening, if you're not familiar with quiet quitting, it's the sense that I don't know what we used to call it before. I, I, I the other day when I listened to this podcast, I did, I remembered, but, but like people just become distant. They, they, they kind of remove themselves from their job. They're just there holding a place. They're, they're not really uh, participating anymore because they're burned out because of whatever circumstances. And, uh, and it is definitely something that's a bigger, a bigger issue today after post pandemic, as people return to something they didn't miss. Um, but okay. So how does, I think in my case or, or someone who runs a business that was more like mine when I had employees, well, there's four of us, including myself. 
and we are production because I've got three carpenters and a bunch of subcontractors and it's a, it's a tight schedule. And I show up on job site. This may it'd be an interesting thing for you to apply for you to give us some insight on. I'm starting to book more jobs because everything's awesome. Uh, we're cranking, but next week I show up and I can see production is tanked for my crew. Let's say I can see that like they're working. No one's standing around. No one ever does that. But, but like, it's just different. I can feel it. I can see it. I can't tell what's going on. And no one really wants to talk. And I don't know what it is. Am I working them too hard? I know no one ever gets paid enough. You know, um, I pay, I, I feel like I pay pretty, pretty good for where I am. Uh, or is it just one person's messing with everybody, you know? So, you know, on a larger scale, we have a lot of employees. I feel like you might have a little more breathing room for certain situations. But what is a what is a regular everyday like one of your subcontractors do? Your subcontractors are probably more what I'm talking about. Um what would you get what would you tell them to do? When they're when things start falling, when the wheels come off, and they can't come off, they need to be on. So, I just want to. I don't. I'm not sure. I got the question. Well, you're observing that there's a burnout. Go. There's there's your crew is burned out, but nobody's talking. Like, what would you? How would you approach that situation? Because. Most builders are very small scale. Right. Uh, well, I, okay. So as I was listening to you sort of describe the scenario, the different things that went through my brain is, first of all, it's not a one and done. So you you can't sort of parachute in, fix a problem and disappear. And I think that goes back to this notion of even if you're not a large scale business, even if you're not a corporation, even if... Uh, it feels sort of box checky to have a mission statement or a vision statement or a values uh, kind of tucked up in your hat. Those are the things that allow for some level of consistency on a job site, in a company, uh, in who you are as a leader, so that when you notice that there's a shift, it gives you a place to go back to. So one of our values is um, uh, refined. So if we're starting to drop the capability of being refined, I have to tap into my other values of being human, of being empathic, of being communicative, and, and create a way of, in whatever way, I mean, I get that you have to be mindful of who your audience is. But refinement is really important. Doing refined work, doing beautiful craft is really important. Something has shifted for you in how you're delivering. What do I need to know? How do I support you to bring a new sense of refinement or to get back to what we, I knew we used to do? Um, we have 
so we have uh, staff meetings every other Friday. We call them community meetings. We went uh, virtual for uh, the pandemic and then we started doing in-person every other. And now we're back to doing in-person every two weeks. And bringing 24 people together for an hour and a half every other Friday, both from a commute standpoint and from a mileage standpoint and from a time standpoint is a huge investment. But it is our way of coming together and repeating the values and diving deep into why we do what we do, having conversations about how we show up, having conversations with the project managers about what it is to be a leader, about what it is to have a difficult conversation, about what it is to, we defined craft. We had a company day at the beginning of the year. Craft, a dedication to excellence and craft was one of the key uh, takeaways from that day. And we spent the hour and a half this past Friday talking about what craft is and not just sitting around in a circle talking about it, but slowing way down and having these sort of contrived exercises, if you will, that got your brain thinking about what does craft mean? So everybody sat down with their own piece of paper and they wrote every word they can think of of what craft meant. Then they had a conversation in a group and they came up with five words that they all agreed on and five words that they disagreed on. It feels hard to do. Mm. It feels odd. But when you slow down to do it, it's kind of fascinating what comes out. It's kind of fascinating what your brain thinks about. It kind of defines that funny line that we have of what craft means to one person versus what it means to another person. I get that we can't necessarily slow down and have an hour and a half conversation with one of our trades about how you define craft, although you could. Um, but if my project manager has gone through that process and is understanding what FH Perry Builder is asking craft to be, then that project manager is bringing that to the job site and is able to express that and share that with the trade so that when the trade isn't quite where they need to be, it's this, the level of support and the paradigm under which we're operating is so clear because it's this constant drumbeat of how we operate at the company. I have to hope that that is all trickling down so that when you come as a trade to work for FH Perry Builder, you know that the project managers are spending their time talking about those things and thinking about those things because the company values that so much so that they're willing to take an hour and a half every other Friday to do it. And it, again, creates a tone about what matters to us. So I kind of, I went all over there, but uh, getting away from sort of the quiet quitting. But I think the idea is, again, that notion of resonance, what makes us somebody, what are the vibrations we put out there that people want to follow? And do you, I love that. I love the getting together every two weeks and the, and everybody defining things their own way and then sharing that. That's really interesting and, and a great, ex a great exercise. I would love to do that with my guys. Um, tell me about, tell me about the vibes. Tell me about the, the, that energy. The, 
I, uh, I'd like to believe that we, that it's sort of our, a little bit of, you know, what our secret sauce would be in that we do slow down long enough to have these kind of funny, funny, funky conversations about building awareness, both of the individual and of the individual impact inside a team and of the team, you know, there are these layers of system. There's the individual that then ripples out to the project team that then ripples out to the company team that then ripples out to the clients and then ripples out to the industry and then ripples. I mean, you're just, so everything comes back to the, to that first rock that gets dropped in the pond, if you will, which is each individual inside the organization. So if that individual truly trusts under those three things that I talked about before. They trust that we know what we're doing. They trust that we're empathic and have their back. And they trust that we're going to be authentic and tell them the truth. Then you can begin to have people trust that you really do believe in developing who they are as people. And that development is messy, that there are mistakes involved, that it's not about creating an ideal situation because if everything was ideal, it would be super boring. And what would we do when we come to work every day? But that we're, we get better and better and better at managing our highs and lows. So life will always have its ups and downs, but we move to new levels of the ups and downs so that the downs at the next level up are still higher than the highs of the first level, if that makes any sense. So we're just constantly kind of improving our game. And inside that constant improvement doesn't mean that you feel perfect and in your flow and don't get mad. That, that doesn't happen. It's more, how do you help? How do we help each other get up out of those moments faster? Do you believe in perfection? God, what a question. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never had it put to me that way. Am I a perfectionist? Yes. Is it my downfall? Yes. Uh, is it <laughs> what I go to my therapist about? Yes. Um, do I believe in it? So... To believe in it, you would have, if it's an it, you would have to be able to define what perfection is. And so perfection mm. then for me would be, if we're talking about the business, would be all these things that I just talked to you about, that I just described, that you've got a group of people that are all on the bus together, all going in the same direction, and they want to help each other get there. Um, that is perfection for me. But if we're talking about perfection in, in I don't know, in what's in a, a more classic form, sense, what's a perfect building, what's a perfect person. I, I don't believe in that because there's so much variety. You know what? Um, this year, uh, Adam Grant, uh, you're familiar with Adam Grant. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he talked about how we should just be striving for excellence. You're ever moving towards perfection, but not, it's like, a, it's tangential. Sure. Because it's, you're never going to get there. 
but we should do the best we can with what we've got is what it boils down to be the best we can be. Right. So what's the driver, I suppose, behind perfection or excellence? Like, I, I think that's the piece is you don't want to let go of that. So to say that you don't believe in perfection, then the alternative is to give up or to let go of your determination. Mm. And none of us want necessarily want to let go of that. So that's why my perfectionism is so, so perfectly profound. Um, <laughs> but let's you. But do you ever achieve it? And and is that what continues to make you, you know, to drive you? So Adam Grant is probably talking about how do we not lose the pursuit of best or better or excellent, but let ourselves off the hook a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because we're not infallible. But you have to you definitely have to have that that target to be moving at. Right, but vulnerability. Which is, which is a is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the vulnerability of imperfection is the is so beautiful in and of itself. That's what makes us connect with other people. So there's a piece that can't be even I don't think you can talk about the the polarities without sort of the balance in the middle. How do we how does emotional intelligence play into this? in terms of of approaching approaching situations uh, that are difficult? I don't, that's such a great question. I think that emotional intelligence uh, people often, I mean, I'm not a guru on emotional intelligence. I have, you know, I, I, I love it as a term because I think it's a great intelligence to have. And I think one of the things that often comes up is that you think to be emotionally intelligent is about being able to read other people's emotions. I'm emotionally intelligent. So if I know, I know when that person is upset, I'm emotionally intelligent. So I know when that person needs a moment because they're sad. I think one of the things that is important to remember in emotional intelligence is actually being able to read your own emotions and know what to do with them. What, what are you, what, where is this anger coming from? Where is the sadness coming from? What is driving mm -hmm. my need to uh, have X, Y, Z? Uh, do I really need that right now? Is this really going to help me right now? How do I hold myself back from a trigger email that I just got? And I want to send a note back that tells the person exactly how I feel. What is the processing that I need to do to understand why that triggered me and what is going on for the other person? in that moment so that it it has the duality effect where you're understanding the impact on you as much as you're understanding the impact on the other person and i think we forget that that half of the equation of really taking time to slow down and understand ourselves thank you for saying that i i read the hbr emotional on emotional intelligence years ago and it was very profound for me because i hadn't thought I hadn't dwelled in that realm. And I, I knew as a young builder that I was, that I was overreacting to things. I was probably said some things to clients that I shouldn't have never anything crazy. I've, I've heard way worse, but, <laughs> but, but that trigger, like you talked about that, not responding to that email, not that's what emotional intelligence really. That's what I pulled out of it. I know I'm no expert either. It's, I'm glad it's in my toolkit. 
Yeah. I'm glad I can refer to it. It made me a better, it makes me a better person to, to acknowledge it. Um, but, and I think without it, you know, I think that's where it's so important to take the other experiences we have in life and apply them to our businesses. Yeah. It, it, you, you, you observe yourself. And then when you're dealing with your client, you're going, Oh, they're also a person that has the same stuff going on that I do. And this just has to, we just have to, and, and it comes back to that vulnerability you're talking about. That's where we all, that's where we come together. Yeah. Right. It's beautiful. Well, and the complexity of, of um, what is it that, and I said this at the, outside of our conversation, but what what if this is in my control and what if this is not in my control? And I might want to make you feel better. I might want to make you feel better if you are not in a good spot, but is that in my control or is that in your control? Quite, you know, it's a rhetorical question, but it's a way of thinking about the level of complexity that's here. And, and when you put, if, so you, if you just have the dynamic between the two of us, and I have reactions to you, you have reactions to me, we manage those reactions in an emotionally intelligent way, but then you throw in 20 other people into the mix and they're gonna have very different reactions and different things that they're com combating or dealing with or feeling or experiencing. And that's what I love is how do we create a space where that can, that maybe that's my ideal of my idea of perfection is that if that group of 20 can say, yeah, we're kind of all a messed up bunch. We all have our own triggers. We all have our own things that we're trying to avoid. Um, how do we create a space where it's possible for us to do really good work together while acknowledging that that's going to be challenging because we all have different definitions of what really good work is. And so yeah, we're holding that line. Yeah, less, def less defensive, more vulnerable. Yeah. I'm going to kind of move into something I heard last night in the news. So I heard a report that said that if the gender gap were filled and more women entered the workforce, that global GDP would increase by 7%. I don't know all the details of where they came up with the number. It's Moody's. So kind of esoteric for the rest of the world, unless you're one of them. But uh, what do you say to women since we are an International Women's History Month, <laughs> what do you say to women who want to enter the workforce in trades or in management that are encountering roadblocks, particularly the subtle bias that makes the conversation more challenging? Mike, that's another essay question. Okay. Uh... There's a, a long exam. Yeah, apparently. Uh, they, I mean, which means they're really good questions and they're sort of the the simple simple answer. If we had it, we would we would be putting it in place and moving it forward. I can share with you the conversations that we're having through um, our we uh, I've been very much a part of pro New England professional model or organization of New England. Uh, has really taken this conversation to heart. We are we get together monthly and talk about it. Um, 
And the parts we talk about being firsts, like anytime you're the a first inside anything. So not that we're, uh, this is a group of women, not that we're um, the, the, the very first women, but we continue to be um, early on in our industry. Um, what is our responsibility as we come in, as we pay attention? Um, what's the difference between saying to people, saying to women, we want you here in this industry versus how do we help you stay here in this industry? And I think those are two different things. Um, that's where some of the biases show up. So, so women may uh, have the courage to kind of come on in, but then once they get here, what are the things that we're doing even what am I doing in my business that continues to subscribe to a more male biased way of being, or even that doesn't create um, a broader sense of, uh, of bringing your whole self into a work environment of having to leave half yourself out. Um, I'm really appreciating the conversation that we've had over this last hour on knowing that we can talk about the hard work of human interaction, of emotional intelligence, of nurturing. I think those are places where women, or even if you want to just shift it from a gender concentration to an energy concentration of what interests do we all have that we want to bring in to equal play inside an industry? And so maybe we talk about emotional intelligence and human interaction and relationships as more of feminine energy. And we talk about um, strategy and uh, data as more masculine energy. I have that in me too. I love strategy. I love data. I love looking at the financials. Um I also love emotional intelligence and human interaction. I think those two things in balance are what make us strong as a business and can make us strong as an industry. Uh, I'm not saying that all women are all feminine energy or all men are masculine energy. All I'm saying is how do we create space where in equal part they are valued? And what do we need to do inside this industry that relays to outside the industry that we have that belief system. Um, so I actually, in my own personal experiences, have seen more of a willingness for that than not from both my male and female colleagues. Um, I think that we are beginning to uh, value the the broadening of capability of insight uh, of of anybody who is different from the singular focus that we've held for so long, um, and we just need to start paying attention to things that have kind of confined us, like work hours, uh, like childcare, like 
being able to leave for a doctor's appointment or a recital. Uh, and I would say men want to do that just as much as women want to do that. Dads want to do that just as much as moms want to do that. So by expanding our definition of what a workday looks like, we create possibility for everybody that actually is sort of more universal and more supportive of a variety of different experiences. So I think it's it's mostly just allowing that the conversations are happening and that we're willing to kind of explore the biases that are in play. Um, I, I, I think I'll leave it there. I think there's all sorts of stuff that we could go off to allyship and awareness building and how we create support. Um, I am not a field person, so I have not experienced what that that is for women who are wanting to uh, come mm -hmm. into the workforce at that level. Um, but there's, no, I guess there's no, no reason why my eternal optimism can't come into play at this level as well, that uh, I think that report is a hundred percent right. It seems like it's sort of a ridiculously simple equation and we should just take advantage of it. Uh, by creating a sense of we want you here and we want you to stay here. Again, there was a lot in there. Um, and one of the things you touched upon that was kind of for everyone, that's really, you know, a, a paradigm shift globally that I, I actually believe is happening. I think we're not as, I think we're starting to not be as caught up in gender roles. Although it's, it's, you know, still pervasive. It's, uh, I think that people are really realizing that our ideas and our thoughts and what we should be doing are really often non-binary. They're not, it, you should be able to think what you want and do what you want. And, you know, I'm introvert, extrovert. Everything's not black and white. It's constant trans. Everything's a constant transition. Right. And we all get gripped by those biases. And so if we if we allow all of us to ungrip a little bit, release the grasp, it might it could be quite powerful what, what comes out. <laughs> it would be. It will be. It's happening. It's happening. Who's your greatest mentor? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know. I might, the obvious answer is my dad, of course. Um, but uh, I told you about this book project that I did, which is collecting the newsletters that I have written over the past eight years or so into one compilation. Mm. And then I had to explain to people what that was. And so I had to write an introduction and I had to write an epilogue and I had to write acknowledgments so that people could kind of have the container of the book. Um, and it turns out uh, that I've had a variety of mentors. One of the, one of the acknowledgments is that there were a bunch of people who held on to me, even though I made it pretty impossible to hold on <laughs> and said, just keep going. So there was sort of the handful of people that um, 
said, I'm, I'm here for you. And it doesn't matter if, if you're messy or perfect, uh, I'm going to be here no matter what. So I think that's a sort of a huge, important category of mentor for me. Um, but I definitely, my mom and my dad, um, where I was going with the, the mom piece is that I don't think I ever thought that my creative side would show up in a book that I'm going to put out to the remodeling industry. And I think she knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in my acknowledgments, I acknowledge her mentorship for that. Um, I'm excited about your book. You sent me the intro. I'm very excited about when, what's it, what's it called and when can we expect to see it? It's called leading with heart and it's important to, uh, the fun little play on that is heart stands for human, empathic, adaptable, refined, transparent. Uh, and then there's a C on the end of that communicative. Those are our values. So they're easy to remember. It is a total coincidence that our values ended up spelling out the word heart. Um, but I love that fun part. So leading with heart and it's on its way to the printer now and will eventually be on Amazon. But if anybody's dying to get their hands on it sooner than that, they can send me an email at hello at fhperry.com. I'd love to get my hands on that. Yeah. And it's an app. It is an apt title after talking to you. Yes. Um, and I'll have to have you back on when it comes out. So uh, next question. Why do skilled trades matter? Uh, <laughs> because we are stewards of this great planet that we live on. And part of leaving behind something of value and beauty and craft and enduring legacy, you can't do it without skilled trades in every facet. I, I mean, I just, it's, you, you can't, I didn't realize I cared about, like, I am feeling so passionate about that question, like as if it's even an alternative, as if unskilled is an alternative. Uh, Talk about pursuit of excellence. Talk about pursuit of perfection. Talk about the requirement of understanding what you're doing, what you're building, how you're using resources, uh, how to capitalize on efficiency. So I'm thinking of you know HVAC trades or plumbing trades of putting in lasting, tight, beautiful. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We can't, I, we can't be throwaway. We can't, we don't have the resource to throw away. We can't build things that don't last. We don't have resource or capability or money or uh, for any of that. So I just, you've got to do it right the first time around and make it beautiful and lasting and be good stewards of good work. It defines us. It defines who we are as human beings, as this generation, as everything. So I just, I always think about like the 200 years from now, looking back, they're going to look back on what the skilled trades did and see it because it will still be standing and it will still be beautiful. What could you care less about today that you were passionate about when you were younger? 
Ah, God, I don't know. This is talk about vulnerable. Let's see. Uh, I used to think that I needed to be famous. Mm. Famous in quotes. Like I wasn't ever going to be, you know, a famous. Well, probably. I probably thought I would be, I wanted to be a famous actor or something. Name and lights kind of thing. It is so far from where I am now. I, I, It was a pursuit, Mike, I think. And uh, maybe it was because it was a, the highest bar I could think of somehow. Um, but I, I sort of find myself shrinking back into the sort of more quiet, subtle wisdom as opposed to the flashy out there, which I'm not saying that all famous people are... Uh, flashing and out there that. don't have subtle wisdom but that was how i defined it and so it's a sh big shift for me of mm -hmm. how i want to have impact in the world that one-on-one -on -one impact is much more meaningful to me than than big huge i the concept of that's so far away from where i am now is really resonates with me because when i was younger i had a very different vision of what 50 years old would look like <laughs> very different <laughs> and it seemed really old then and now it doesn't <laughs> um okay what which of your personality traits do you think benefit you most as a contractor Uh, I am optimistic to a fault and, um, though I'm sure folks listening could name a long list of why that's problematic. Um, I think it actually has been quite effective because <laughs> there are so many times, I mean, this business is so up and down and you and uh, my determination to ride out every every down and to cherish the ups and to cherish the people that are in the ups and downs with me uh, has absolutely kind of kept us buoyant and going. You have to be optimistic in this business. I think so. You have to be, you have to be an optimist. Because and and it it shows because even when you're down and you're having the worst day, you're still going through your list. You're still powering through everything you needed to do. You're just not in the same mood as you were when you were up. <laughs> you're still doing it all. You're still doing it. Okay, so it can be separated from mood. I like that. That's helpful. <laughs> uh, okay. This is a question. These are a series of questions I ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, what is your favorite tool? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, um, I think there's probably a, a wonderful, fascinating tool that I am not thinking about, but I love just 
the beauty of a of a um, planer. Mm. Just because, so it's sort of symbolic of of that uh, skill skill work that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. What's the most useful tool? <laughs> Your cell phone. <laughs> What's the where have you been all my life tool? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. For you, for you. For me, for me. Where have you been on my life tool? Um, oh, I know I have one. I guess I know that I had that moment of thinking, oh my God, where have you been on my life? <laughs> what is it? got to be an app or something mm -hmm. i I'll have to come back okay yeah in the middle of the night you'll be like it's this Ow. you can call me <laughs> uh, um what's the best thing to eat in boston if, if we're in town lobster lobster go up to Haba and get some lobster go get some um, lobster and have some chowder oh yeah yeah, seafood. Um, what book are you reading or what book should we read? Oh. Not not the life list, just one. <laughs> Does it have I've, to can I, it just be fiction? Or are you, you whatever you want? If you no, know, if you had a book recommendation, hit us. Doesn't have to be about making us uh I, um, my favorite book is called Beartown, hmm. Frederick Bachman, hockey. I have hockey players in my life. It's, a um, just the, and it, so it's, it, he, he has an amazing cap capability of coming, of offering commentary on life through a, through this whole fictional scenario around this town that's obsessed with hockey. It's so beautifully written. I mm -hmm. love it. Love, love, love it. Um, yeah. Ann Patchett. Love I'm her. Gonna check out, I'm going to check out Bear Town because I don't read much fiction anymore. You I, might, I, I, uh, I, given your environment, uh, being in Alaska, you might appreciate it. Mm. I think that, yeah. It's definitely a hockey, it's definitely a hockey town up here oh ordinary wolves that's a book recommendation for you an alaskan book. okay ordinary wolves amazing uh seth kantner so it's Grew funny because i also just read Kristen hannah's um the great alone which takes place in alaska mm. uh a father who is a vietnam vet moves his family to alaska and I I would be I would be fascinated to talk to anybody who actually lives there to see how real and accurate it is. But she's pretty amazing in what she does from a research perspective and how she paints a story and a place. So it was pretty. It was funny that I had read. I was literally just finished reading it, and you oh, called, it, and it was like, oh wow, I feel completely tied to Alaska right now. <laughs> it's the vibes. It's the vibes, man. <laughs> It happened. Coming. <laughs> did you do your canning? Yeah, I did. 
I did. I canned a bunch go. of fish. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a question that I always have the guest ask a question for the next guest or somewhere down the line. And my previous guest, Freddie Roman, who actually is a, a craftsman in Boston, Boston area. He's the period craftsman on Instagram. If you ever, he's, he's historic furniture, super dialed guy. Anyway, his question is, do you still love it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's so funny on multiple levels. So when I hear the question coming from him, immediately what comes to mind is, you know, being a little girl walking into my dad's shop and smelling the sawdust and the coffee. <clears throat> and I can't ever not love that. I won't ever not love that. And as much as that is not my story uh, in how I kind of cross over with it on my day to day, I think I just know that it's always there. So I'll always love that. Um, and then what I love is, I mean, you mentioned we are, we're all sort of a variety of small businesses. None of us are necessarily these, you know, sort of big, huge corporations. And what I love about that, and one of the things that I said in, in the intro of my book is that I've learned that people who work with their hands also work with their hearts. And I love having learned that by coming into this industry. And for that, I've been able to be successful in this industry with my way of thinking and my way of hanging out here. Uh, and I'm super grateful for that. And I will always be grateful to this industry for that. I had to take a deep breath there. Um, what question would you ask someone that came on the show? I would ask, what made you stay the course in this industry, in this business? There are lots of different things, options, opportunities that could pull any one of us out, up and out. And what made you say no to those? That's a great question. Incidentally, Freddie had his own business and pulled the plug on it because it was interfering with his craft. Mm. And it's a, it's a beautiful story. Is, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to during this international women's history month? Uh, I would like to give a shout out to Erica Mossy and Denise Durson from the professional model or professional builder. They run the women in residential construction conference every year. They started it with uh, Tony a bunch of years back. And I've had lots of really deep conversations with them about why and what they're trying, what they're doing with that conference. And uh, push back a little bit at one point, you know, if we're, why are we, ha if we want to be more inclusive, why are we having these conferences with just women? Mm. And Erica said, because women talk differently to each other when it's just women. And I really value her insight and perception on that to, um, I don't think she'll, that she will 
that that will always be what we need, but it's what we needed at the beginning. And uh, I really honor her courage and uh, insight on that. Staying the course. I can appreciate that. I Women are doing a better job at encouraging people. Women are women get together and are better at building networks. At least my observation hmm. on social media is that they're connecting more readily. They're having more more meetups. They're having more conferences to get women involved. Women are creating these networks and that's where the change is going to happen in the industry. It's, it's going to be born out of that, I believe. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to keep asking, what are you guys doing over there? How, how can we help? How can we be a part of it? What can we do? What do you need? Uh, and sort of not feeling a need to stay out, but to stay mm -hmm. at the ready. 25 years in this business. NFH Perry. Yeah. Do you have any final words of wisdom <laughs> for the masses? Over the time that one spends in a company like this, uh, as much as you're kind of growing and developing yourself to also be aware of those that you're growing and developing with you and get out of their way when it's time. Uh, and I have just got, an incredible team of people that um, they're really running the day-to-day -day of the business. And I am, I'm super grateful to them for that. And I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to not holding on to anything longer than I need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's multifaceted that letting go is a huge part go. of every time you answer i have another question comes out of it i just quickly <laughs> just, just sorry just briefly have you had employees leave and gone on to be you know start their own companies no, no not so much people, people stick around People stick around. Um, people stick around for sure. Uh, and some people, I'm trying to think, yeah. <laughs> Most people have, uh, yeah, I guess most people have gone off and, and found other things that um gone to work for other companies mm -hmm. where we're did not you, an easy place to work because we do ask you to spend a lot of time in that human realm so you gotta want to want to do that building is absolutely being in the built in the human realm though you gotta you gotta have face-to-face -face time and it can't just be blunt and like what it what I imagined in the 80s and 90s, or actually what I observed in the 90s of how my boss talked to his customer, his his custom home clients, 
in front of the crew, how he spoke to them is a perfect lesson of what I should, I would never consider doing. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah. Just a, just a blunt force, just a great sense of humor, but no filters. Yeah. Say. <laughs> um, and yeah, Randy, Randy Dahl, good man. Um, I learned a lot from him. Okay. Do you think that everyone out there listening should leave us a five-star review for this podcast episode? I absolutely think that everyone out there listening should leave a five-star review for this podcast. For everybody out there, you can check out Allison's business, the FH Perry at fhperry.com. You go, they're also on Instagram. Yeah, Allison, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for your questions, it. Mike. <laughs> thank you for your essay questions. <laughs> Thanks for your book recommendations. <laughs> I need to I need to actually read fiction. It's been too long. Yeah, fiction. I can sail away with fiction. So that's a I'm glad to pass that along. But I'm and I'm super glad to have been here with you. I really appreciate the insightful joining questions, poking, playing with this part of the business that I love. I appreciate that. And uh good luck with the book. Thank we'll be you. looking for it. Hey, a couple more bits of housekeeping here. Allison and I are going to go live on Instagram Thursday, March 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time U.S., where we're going to hit on some of the things that Allison wanted to go deeper on or your questions. Don't miss this opportunity to ask a 25-year industry construction and remodel veteran about the ins and outs of running a business. Other than that, my call to action still stands. Please get me your stories on how you entered the trades. What was it? What was the moment? What was the event? I'll take written. I'll take video. I'll take voice messages. I sent out instructions in my mailer. I've talked about it in other podcasts, number 109 specifically, and I'm talking about it on Instagram. You guys, I'm serious. This means a lot to me. Let's make history together. Let's put this together. Everybody send me your stories. Five minutes or less. And if you write it, I'll read it. It's a long ways out, but all entries by April 15th. I won't have time to do with anything with it before then anyway. All right. That's all I got. Later. We often get sort of stuck and caught in thinking that there's a, a way to be a leader. In my opinion, the only way to be a leader is to be as much yourself as possible.